Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from our guest speaker. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. So what I'm going to do in, in anticipating that many of you will leave here this morning saying, you know, let's go read through our Bible. Now, by the way, I suggest don't try to do it in a year. Try to do it in two years. If you read two chapters a day, you can get through it in two years. I'm more of an 18-month-at-a-time person. About every 18 months, sometimes it's 20 months, sometimes it's 16 months, but about every 18 months, I will go through my Bible. So don't try to, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. But anticipating that all of you are going to race out of here, getting ready for January 1st to start there, Genesis chapter 1, I want to give a roadmap, an overview of the story of the Bible. So when you get to situations like Leviticus or the book of Job, you go, okay, I understand where this fits in the journey. I know I'm at a kind of a tough spot, but I see where it fits in the scripture and I understand its importance and I'm willing to keep pressing on till I get to the end. So I want you to turn to your table of contents. Turn to your table. I'm going to preach from the table of contents this morning. And if you have a digital, if your Bible's on your phone, there is a table of contents to your phone Bible. But turn to the table of contents. And there are a lot of different ways to go through the Bible. And what I want to spend just a second on here on the table of contents is looking at it organizationally. How many books are there in the Old Testament? Anybody know? 39. Thank you. Um, if Dr. Smither, who's a professor at CIU, didn't get, oh, it was Sean. Was it Sean? Who was it? Oh, uh, was it Paul? Who's that behind you? Uh, Everybody keeps passing it on back further and further. Uh, it was right, so you don't have to pass it on. Everybody can claim credit for it. There are 39 books. Now, they're divided up in the, in the table of contents. I wish all 39 were chronological, but the whoever put it together, arranged it for us, didn't do it chronologically. They did it categorically. They did it by categories. So there are 17 Five, 17 books. The first category, the books of history. They're often called the historical books. I don't like that. I'd rather call them the chronological books because if you call them the historical books, it implies that these others aren't historical, but they all are very real, very true, very inerrant, very infallible, very historical. The second group, the second category, if the first 17 are books of history, the second category, these fives are books of poetry. So to help you follow between Esther and the book of Job, draw a line. Then those 17 above that line are the history books. Then in between Song of Solomon and Isaiah, draw another line. Those five, from Job to Song of Solomon, those are books of poetry. Then you get from Isaiah to Malachi, that's 17. Those 17s are the books of prophecy. Now, these books of poetry fit at a certain point 
in these books of history and the prophets fit in the books of history. And I'm going to try to show where they fit. But I want to focus primarily on these 17 books because they tell us the story. Everybody look up here just for a second. They tell us the story of the Bible so we can put the stories from the Bible in their context. So look up here on the screen, please. There are, if we take these 17 history books, they basically cover eight historical eras. Now, I've arranged them into four pairs of opposite words. Nothing, something, exiting, entering, united, divided, scattered, gathered. I will not have time to get to the New Testament, but if we did the New Testament, those two words, so there are 10 total words for the whole Bible, they are coming, going. So, for the next 120 seconds, let me preach through the whole Bible. You ready? Using these 10 words. Nothing, something. God creates the, hum- creates the human race out of nothing. He doesn't use mud. He doesn't use monkeys. He speaks, and there's creation. What's the second era? Something, the opposite. God creates the human race out of nothing. He turns the Hebrew race into something of great size. It's Exodus chapter 1, verse 5 or verse 7, and great significance. Great, uh, Exodus 1, 5, 1, 7 says they become this great multitude, great size and significance. The, the, the future Messiah is promised to come through the Hebrew people. So nothing, something, exiting. They exit Egypt. They enter the promised land. The united kings stand. The divided kings fall. God scatters them to Babylon. He gathers them back to the promised land. There are four and a half centuries of silence. And then we get to the New Testament. There's the coming of the Christ and the going of the church. Nothing, something, exiting, entering, united, divided, scattered, gathered, coming, going. Now, Think of like a rainbow. That's kind of like this big arch, the story of the Bible. Let's drill down a little deeper so when you go away, you'll have some key people, key events uh, that will help you follow this story. So let's begin. What's the first era? Nothing. You guys are so much more advanced than the other two groups. All right, so the nothing era. How do we remember the nothing era? This starts in Genesis chapter 1 and goes to Genesis chapter 11. And in those 11 chapters, there are four key events we need to remember. Creation, fall, flood, Tower of Babel. Say it with me. Creation, fall, flood, Tower of Babel. Creation, chapters 1 and 2, God speaks And there's the creation. There's the universe. There's the earth. There's water. There's land. There are animals. There are birds. And there are people. Usins. Well, that's chapters 1 and 2. Chapters 3 through 5, Adam and Eve, they have it made. They're They're walking in sweet fellowship with the God of the universe. And they blow it. They disobey And so we have the fall of man. It means this beautiful relationship in which great fellowship was experienced is now severed. And I love the first question that God asked in the Old Testament. He asked this question. He's walking through the cool of the garden. He goes, Adam or man, where are you? And that question echoes through the ages. Man, come back to me. Where are you? I love the first question asked in the New Testament. It's asked by man, and it's this. It says, where is he, the king of the Jews? 
speaking of the coming Christ. All right, so, so we have the fall of man, and then you get to chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. We have God's judgment on man's wickedness, and that's the flood of the earth. Then you get to chapters 10 and 11. We have the Tower of Babel. They're supposed to build this or attempting to build this great monument for themselves, and it's all about glorifying their name. God doesn't like that, and so he confuses their languages, and, and it's, uh, they can no longer fulfill this great project. That's the nothing era. Let's go to the something era. It starts at Genesis chapter 12 and goes to the end of the book, chapter 50. How do we remember what takes place during this era? Four patriarchs, four patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Abraham starts at chapter 12, and he goes to chapter 24. Isaac doesn't have a very good publicist, so he only gets two chapters. He should have hired somebody better. He gets chapter 25 and 26. You have Jacob. He's also known as Israel. He goes from 27 to 36. And then you have Joseph, the last 14 chapters. Now, why is Abraham such a big deal? Why is he a big deal? Well, let's go back and connect it to the previous era, the nothing era. Creation, fall, flood. What was the fourth one? Tower of Babel. All right, the Tower of Babel, in chapters 10 and 11, if you count the number of peoples, you come up with 69. Now, I was always taught there were 70. And when I counted them, I counted 69. It was like, Where's the 70th? It starts with Abraham, the Hebrews. Now, why is he a big deal? If you go back to the fall of man, when Adam and Eve sinned, this is chapter 3, God's saying, Adam, here are your consequences for sin. Eve, here are your consequences. Now, remember this. We can always choose our sin, but we can never choose our consequences. We can always choose our sin, but we can't choose our consequences. And then he gets to the devil, and God says, listen, devil, there is coming, most translations will say that we will tend to read, will say the seed of woman. A better translation for us would be a descendant of woman. It's singular. It's not plural. There's coming this one descendant. And in this descendant, when he comes, devil you are going to bruise him, this descendant, on the hill. Now, it's real vague at this point in Genesis chapter 3. As you get further into Scripture, it becomes clearer. This is going to be the crucifixion. But then it goes on to say, but he's going to crush you on the head. That's the resurrection. Well, so we get to Babel. We know this promised Messiah, the main character of this whole story of the Bible. We, we know that this Messiah has to come from one of these 70 people groups. From which one will God choose? Which will be the chosen people? Well, it could be any of the 70, but he chose the Hebrews, which we know later as the Jewish people. All right, so that's why Abraham's a big deal because God says it's through you, um, Genesis chapter 22 around verse 17. He says, in you, in your seed, in your descendant, all the nations or all the families of the earth will be blessed. So from which descendant? Um, this one. I'm going to choose the Hebrews. And Abraham starts that lineage. 
All right, nothing, something, nothing. Creation, fall, flood, Tower of Babel. Here's a great outline of Genesis. Two parts, nothing, something. The something part, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. All right, that's the first two eras found in one book. What's the third era? The exiting era. The exiting era. Whereas the first two eras were found in one book, this third era covers four books. And this is actually how we can remember what takes place during this era. Not the titles, but the meanings of these titles. So let's, what are the titles? Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So what do those titles mean? Exodus, if you look on the screen, means to exit from, exit through, exit to. They exit Egypt through the Red Sea, and they end up at Mount Sinai. That's covered in the book of Exodus. So in my brain, in the book of Exodus, there's three parts. He delivers his people, declares his covenant, and he designs his tabernacle. And he's doing this from Egypt to Mount Sinai. That takes about one year. One year. When they get to Mount Sinai, Moses, God, through Moses, is going to formalize the Hebrew religion. It's, it's not formalized at this point. So there, the book of Leviticus covers one month. And the book title, Leviticus, means Levites pertaining to the Levites or pertaining to the Levitical priest. There Moses says, all right, here's what God wants us to do to worship him. There are going to be five different types of offerings and seven feasts. Five offerings and seven feasts. If you want a good outline for the book of Leviticus, it's he covers their worship of God and their walk with God. That's what all these laws are their walk with God. Worship of God, walk with God. So now that their religion is formalized, they are ready. It's been about 13 months now since they left Egypt or since the beginning of the plagues. And now they're going to march to the promised land. So look at this uh, map for a second. The book of Leviticus is one month. And the book of Numbers starts at Mount Sinai. And it's going to end all the way at the top, the plains of Moab. But let's watch how the book of Numbers plays out. Twice in the book, they are counted. It's the book of Numbers. It means counting. It means taking censuses. And so the first census is taken in Numbers chapter 26, verse, verse 56. And here's what this verse says in a paraphrase. Big tribes get big land. Little tribes get little land. So Judah, if you're huge, you're going to get a bunch of property. Uh, Manasseh, if you're small, you're going to get just a tiny piece of real estate. So we're square. That's how it works. We have our religion. Okay. Let's go. Let's march. So they begin marching, and they march all the way up to Kadesh. Kadesh Barnea. Now Moses doesn't want to be surprised because these folks know they're coming. They heard about the Red Sea. Now God just wiped out the most powerful fighting force on the planet. So he sends in some spies just to check it out. Twelve of them. They come back. Two of them say, let's go. Ten of them say, no way. There's some giants in the land. 
and we feel like little bitty grasshoppers, we're not going. Well, not to pay them back, but to win their hearts back. God lets them wander. These curly cues were the best I could do on the screen. Uh, they're, 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 not, they're no longer marching. They're wandering around. And they wander another 39 years just wandering. That whole generation he counted dies. They get to the plains of Moab. It's a new generation. So he numbers them. This is Numbers chapter 33, verse 56. It's the same verse as 56, 56. He counts them. This little tribe now has gotten real big. Big tribes get big real estate. You guys have gotten smaller. Little tribes get little real estate. They're almost ready now to go into the promised land, to enter the promised land. They've almost finished their exiting. So what's the next book of the Bible, the title that will help us remember this part of the story? Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, we get the Greek part, Deuteros Nomos, second law. If we were in Russia, I could say turn to the book of Genesis. If I meant Genesis, I would say turn to the book of second law. If I meant Deuteronomy, they just call it second law. Why is it called second law? Because now the people are in, the, are at the plains of Moab. All they need to do to get to the promised land is go across the Jordan River, and they're in the promised land. But one last thing needs to be covered. This generation was not at Mount Sinai to hear, and, to hear the thunder and see the lightning and the voice of God give these Ten Commandments. So in the book of Deuteronomy, God, through Moses, repeats the Ten Commandments. It's the Ten Commandments for the second time. This is what makes the people of God different. This is their responsibility in this covenantal relationship with God. He said, I will be your God, you will be my people. And as my people, you keep these Ten Commandments. So now they're ready. So what's the next era? We covered nothing, something, exiting. What's the next era? Entering. It's just an opposite. So nothing, creation, fall, flood, Tower of Babel. Something, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Exiting the titles, the four titles, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So now we get to the entering. Three books deal with this phase, this part of the story. Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Now, we don't need the book of Ruth. We need it as part of the Bible, but we don't need it as part of the story because it's a big story that takes place during the time of Judges. We need Joshua and we need Judges. So here's how we remember the entering part. The book of Joshua, which lasts 25 years, Look here, please. In the book of Joshua, the Hebrews conquer the Canaanites physically. In the book of Judges, which lasts 340 years, the Canaanites conquer the Hebrews spiritually 
Now, where do we see that? If you get to the book of Judges, the first chapter, they make two mistakes. The first mistake they make is they don't drive out all these Canaanite people groups, the Amorites, Ammonites, Jebusites, Edomites, Edomites, um, the Philistines later on the, uh, are a big people group that gives them a lot of trouble. They don't drive them out of the land. The second mistake they make is they begin to worship the gods of the Canaanites. Here, this God, and by the way, Joshua and Caleb were the two spies that say, let's go, Moses, we can do it. Why? Because they remember that the God who defeated the most powerful fighting force on the planet, the Egyptians at the Red Sea, he could handle a few giants. Unfortunately, I'm often like those 10 other spies, and I trust God for something. He comes through, and I'm so excited, but a few months later, I need to trust him for something. I'm like, oh, I know, God, you, you took care of Egypt, but I don't think you can take care of these giants. They're too big. So they're ready to go in. And so they, they say, let's drive them all out. They don't drive them out. So they take these logs. They saw them in half. They burn one half for their fire. They take the other and carve some eyeballs in a mouth. And they set it up right. And they worship the other half. They turn from this God who delivered them so miraculously, provided for them so miraculously, has cared for them so lovingly, and they say, well, you know, let's worship a piece of stick. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I kind of forget God and get focused on something of this world. I'm so much like them. I hate to admit it. Don't tell pastor. He might never let me preach again. All right. So now, as you go through the book of Judges, you find this cycle. It, it outlines it in chapter 2, and it goes over it six specific times. This cycle, they sin against God. He enslaves them with some of these surrounding people groups, Canaanite people groups. They cry out, oh, God, please set us free, and he saves them, only to repeat the cycle all over again. Sin, suffering, supplication, salvation. By the time you get to the end of the book of Judges, they have spiraled down so low, the last few books of the book of Judges will just break your heart because of how far they've fallen morally and civilly. It's terrible. Well, at the end of the book of Judges, they've reached a point where they say, you know, we are being beaten up by these other people groups so often because we are 12 separate people groups. We're this loosely associated group of Hebrews. If we all came together and united under one king, we could beat any of them. But God didn't want them to have an earthly king. He wanted to be their heavenly king. But he knew they were going to do this because way back in the book of Deuteronomy, hundreds of years earlier, he said, chapter 17, he says, one day you're going to ask for a king. I'm going to give you a king. When you get this king, here are three things he needs to do and three things he shouldn't do. So he knew it was coming. It didn't surprise him. So they ask Samuel, the last judge. So now we get to First and Second Samuel in the first few chapters, the 11 chapters of First Kings. 
and we have the united era. And these 12 tribes unite into one nation. By the way, how many tribes were there? 13. 12 had land, and the Levites were scattered over all 12 tribes. But wait, Jacob only had 12 sons. Where did that 13th guy come from? Have you ever heard of the tribe of Joseph? Mm -mm. He got a double portion. His two oldest sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, made Manasseh, if Joseph is out, we're down to 11. Add Manasseh, number 12. Add Ephraim, number 13. 12 of the 13 had land. The 13th tribe, the Levites, were scattered throughout all 12 tribes. That was for free. It'll be the only thing you probably remember about my talk, but I'll be happy that you remember one thing. All right, so now, <clears throat> united. How do we remember what takes place in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, in these first few chapters of 1 Kings? Three kings, Saul, David, Solomon. Saul, David, Solomon. Saul, he starts out badly, he ends badly. He was very uh, focused on building monuments to himself. I tend to be that way myself. It's so horrible. We need to be adding to the glory of God, not ourselves. The second king, David, he started well, he ended well, but he had a lot of ups and downs. And when he had a down, he confessed it with a repentant heart so genuinely that Acts chapter 13 says, David, a man after my own heart. Solomon, it says he was the wisest man on earth, he starts well, but he ends horribly. He ends horribly. The wisest man on earth ended horribly. And so gateway men, it's not how we start, it's how we finish. And we want to finish well, so we can't take our eye off the ball. We need to play the game intently all the way through. It made me think of last night. All right, so... So now we have three kings. That's the united. But at a certain point, they divide. How do we get this division? Here's what happens. So how do we remember the united era? Three kings. Saul, David, Solomon. The divided era, which picks up 1 Kings chapter 12. Oh, by the way, let me, let me go back. In the united era, four of the poetry books were written. David wrote half of Psalms, and Solomon wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. All right, so now we get to the divided era. This is 1 Kings chapter 12 and goes all the way to 2 Kings chapter 23. 1 and 2 Chronicles also takes place during this time, but it's basically a repeat of 1 and 2 Kings. All right, so how do we remember what happens during the divided era? Three kingdoms, not three kings, three kingdoms. So let's look at these three kingdoms. Solomon has a son. His name's Rehoboam. And he's now king over this 12 tribes that's called the nation of Israel. But instead of lowering taxes like they request, because Solomon had made it hard on them in terms of the tax burden, he adds to their tax burden. It so frustrates them that the ten northern tribes say, huh, 
forget you, we're going to form our own country. And so now there's the divided era. Ten tribes in the north, they take the name Israel. It's no longer 12 tribe Israel. It's 10 tribe Israel. Sometimes they use the name Ephraim after the largest tribe. Then there are two tribes in the south. They take the name Judah. Well, this is when God starts sending a lot of prophets. Two of the prophets that he sent to the northern kingdom, Hosea and Amos, he says, please turn back to God because all 19 of their kings were wicked and most of the time the people themselves were wicked. They don't listen to these prophets and God says, if you don't, I will send Assyria to judge you. They don't listen. So the third kingdom is Assyria. First kingdom, northern. Second kingdom, southern. Third kingdom, Assyria. Second Kings chapter 17, it says the Assyrians come in, conquer them. And the way they controlled their conquered peoples is they would move them into other places in the world. So these ten tribes become known as the lost ten tribes of Israel. Then they take some Gentiles. They bring them into the northern kingdom. They intermarry the remaining Hebrews that are there. And this new group takes the name of the capital of the northern kingdom. The capital was what? Does anybody guess? Samaria. So they become known as the Samaritans as we enter into the New Testament. All right, so now all that's left are these two little tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, and there we call them the southern kingdom or two-tribe Israel because they took the name Israel again. So you have a 12-tribe Israel, a 10-tribe Israel, and a two-tribe Israel. It gets kind of confusing at times, all right? So the next era is the scattered era. So what does that mean? New American Standards prophesied since Leviticus and Deuteronomy hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. If you don't follow me, I'm going to scatter you to the nations, but I will gather you back. So here's the scattering. God starts sending a lot of prophets to the southern kingdom. They don't listen and turn back to God. So God uses Babylon. They come in. They grab, they conquer Judah, and they haul them off into exile. They scatter them to the nations. Now, it's not one exile or scattering, departure. It's three departures. So here's how remember this era. This is in 2 Kings 24, 25. There's the first departure under king number 18, Second departure under king number 19. Third departure under king 20. But I want you to remember king Jehoiakim, king Jehoiachin, king Zedekiah. You got that? No, you don't. All right. So you can just use departure one, departure two, departure three. Departure one, the king goes, a young teenager named Daniel, and Daniel's three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Why in the world do we remember them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? But we do. We remember by their Babylonian names. So they get scattered. 
They rebel again, so Nebuchadnezzar sends his general back. He wipes them out again. This time he hauls king number 19, Jehoiachin, and he hauls a guy named Ezekiel, and he hauls everybody else but the poor. And then they rebel again under Zedekiah. So Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm pretty sure he said this, he says, General, if you don't take care of it this time for good, you're in big trouble. That's probably in the Aramaic. So he sends the general back. The general destroys the wall. He destroys the temple, and he hauls off the third group, Zedekiah. He blinds Zedekiah after he kills his kids in front of him, puts him in bronze fetters, blinds him, and hauls him off. So now it is a very dark time in the story of the Bible. So they're in Babylon, and... We know the big books written about that are Ezekiel and Daniel because they're there. And it says in Daniel chapter 7 that Daniel's reading through the book of Jeremiah. This is key because Jeremiah was one of the prophets that told you to please turn back to God. I know you're not, and so we're going to get scattered, and it's going to last 70 years. He said in chapter 25 and chapter 29. So now, Daniel, who's high up, he's reading through the book of Daniel, and he sees the 70 years, and he looks where he's been counting the number of years they've been in exile, and it's about 70 and then write down, write down Isaiah, the end of Isaiah 44, the beginning of Isaiah 45. This is 200 years before all this is about to take place that I'm about to describe. It says, Cyrus, tell the people to go back and rebuild their temple. Isaiah is writing this. It makes no sense because the temple's not destroyed. And who on earth is Cyrus? That's not a Hebrew name. Guess who's ruling 200 years later in Babylon? A guy named Cyrus. Can you imagine when he's born? Dad says, let's name him Butch. And the mom goes, no, no. He says, well, let's name him Spike. No. I want to name him Cyrus. Cyrus? That's not in our family. Yeah, let's name him Cyrus. Scholars think that Daniel communicated with Cyrus and said, look here, you are in the holy scriptures of the Hebrews. And that's why we see in Ezra chapter 1, Cyrus says, God has told me to tell you to go back and build your temple. So they return, but they don't return in one return. It's three returns. So how do we remember the gathered era? Three returns. Return number one, return number two, return number three is one way to remember it. But what I want you to remember is the, are the three leaders that led the return. The first leader, his name is Zerubbabel. So just think zoo bubble, and you kind of get real close. Zerubbabel. He takes a group back, and they rebuild the temple that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed. Then, decades later, Ezra goes back, and he renews the spiritual vitality of the people of God in Jerusalem. And then a few years later, Nehemiah goes back, and he rebuilds the wall 
that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed. And during this time, we have the last three books of the Old Testament. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are the prophets that encouraged those leaders then. So here's the Old Testament. Ready? Nothing something. What's nothing? Creation, fall, flood, Tower of Babel. Something. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Exiting the four titles, entering, book of Joshua, the Hebrews conquer the Canaanites physically, judges, the Canaanites conquer the Hebrews spiritually. Then we get to united, three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. Then we get to divided, three kingdoms, not three kings, but three kingdoms, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, Assyria, okay? Then we have the scattered era, Three departures under Nebuchadnezzar. Then we have the gathered era. Three returns. Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah. Then we have four and a half centuries of silence in this story of the Bible. Then we get to the New Testament. The coming of Christ. We just celebrated his birthday. And he says, the last words are important. Some of his last words were, go, therefore, and make disciples the going of the church. Let me close with one verse, Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. It says about Ezra, Ezra set his heart, paraphrase, Ezra made a New Year's resolution Unacceptable. He set his heart to study the law, to practice it, and to teach it. What if we just take two thirds of that resolution today or tomorrow, sometime before the first? Let's set our hearts, let's make a resolution. Let's read God's word this year. Don't feel like you have to read through it cover to cover in a year. That's tough. That's four chapters a day every single day. Pick a chapter a day and do it in four years. How good is that? Four years from now, you will have read the Bible. Have you done it the past four years? Let's set our hearts not just to, to study it, to read it, but to do it. Let's you and me this year seek to master the word of God. But let's also let the word of God master us. Amen? Let's pray.